Welcome to the Intern Whisper Live. Today, we have Lakeisha Womack. So, reminder to our listeners, you can call us live on the air. The phone number is 407-582-2906. And you can also chat with us online through Intern Pursuits Live Facebook chat. And how can you find us? We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and six podcast channels, whatever your favorite ones are iHeartRadio, Apple, Google, all of the great ones, um, Spotify. And then you can also play our game. It's internpursuit.games. And you can find our game also on Twitter and Facebook. And you can listen to us live on Valencia College Radio right now, people, right now. And watch us live on Facebook. Even now, people are doing that. And you can call us again on the air. It's 407-582-2906. And you can chat with us online. Let's jump into our first patron of the night. Starter Studio is a nonprofit organization and pioneering hub for innovators and tech-enabled entrepreneurs that empowers and provides resources for entrepreneurs, creatives, and innovators to begin, grow, and flourish in Florida. Starter Studio fosters a community serving as a platform for the ideas of the future. Starter Studio. Lakeisha, how are you today? I am doing well. How are you? Very well, very well. It's nice talking to you. We have her on a Skype call. Okay, so our show is all about business, the future of industries and jobs. So tell us about your first job. What was it like? How did you get it? And how did it get you to where you are now? You can include that whole entrepreneurial story because you've got a good story. <laughs> okay, awesome. So my first job was actually working in retail. I worked for a clothing store my first semester in college. And I started working there because I had attended a boarding school for high school. And I really wanted to move out of the dorms when I went to college. And so I started working in a clothing store, but quickly realized that that was not my path to financial independence because I was spending more money on clothes than I was um, actually saving. So that taught me a very valuable lesson. Um, But through the years, I've worked um, in retail, financial services, um, the publishing industry, and all of those jobs prepared me to become a consultant because I learned a lot of business basics and I've been able to apply those to my clients, um, to my clients' businesses, whether they're starting a retail um, business or if they're looking to start a bakery or what have you, there are some basic principles that are the same across industries. Um, I've been consulting for um, 15 years this year. So it's been a very exciting journey. And about 10 years ago, I did go through a rebranding. And as we were discussing in the pre-show, I had to decide if I wanted to um, integrate my faith with my consulting. And I realized that there was no way I could do this without um, having my faith to play a large role in the work that I was doing. So um, I pray for my clients. Um, I can't do the work that I do for them without praying for them and um, just understanding like the role that our faith plays in the goals and the visions that we have. And within the past couple of years, I've also begun doing some consulting with churches. And so that ties into some of the books that we'll be discussing later in the show. So that's really interesting. I I find that uh, people don't always talk about their faith and, you know, they're afraid that they're going to offend somebody or they're, they're going to feel like, Oh, well, I'm, they'll think that I'm trying to convert them. And instead of just worrying what somebody else is thinking, we should just go ahead and just say, hey, you know, my faith, you know, belief in God, it's a part of my life. And so I talk about it as openly as I do with, uh, you know, like your kids and your your spouse. So nothing wrong with that. Totally get it. But what was interesting that you shared with our listeners is that you saw an opportunity by working with churches that you said that most of them did not really have consultants come in. And they don't always think about the church as a place it is a business it is there to be able to make money pay employ people and be able to pay those people so when we say make money it's not like in in the sense of um, 
what is the profit and loss statement, what is the, you know, the revenue and the margins and all of that good stuff. But yet it does come into play with nonprofits and also churches and governments. We we have to be responsible stewards, right? Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of times we assume that because people have certain gifts, that that makes them great at everything. And so a person can be a very skilled pastor and have a pastoral heart or be a great preacher and be able to orate really well, but not have great administrative skills, or they can have a vision and not be able to communicate that vision clearly to their congregation. And so having a consultant come in um, helps to assess what the strengths and weaknesses are of that church and then help them to build on those things. And that's the same thing that we do in business um, and with nonprofits, but I don't think a lot of churches have really taken the time to say like, hey, we need an evaluation as well. So that we can be the best organization that we can be for our communities and for our congregations. Mm -hmm. Agree, agree. So when you started working with a a church, um, and I really like this whole conversation that we're having here, was it with your own church or did you, you know, reach out and another church brought you in? How did that happen? It was actually another church that brought me in. Um, They saw what I had been doing with businesses and they said, hey, you know, do you think you can come and help my church? And so I said, you know, sure. And much like working with businesses where you think that the growth strategy is going to be you need to go and get more customers, you need to go and get more people. Um, The same issue was true with churches. You um, it was about figuring out how do we retain the people that we already have and make them more loyal to the organization so that they do word of mouth advertising for us. And a lot of times churches kind of miss out on that. So they're so focused on doing outreach that they're not doing um, a great job of servicing the the customers that they already have in their congregations to the point that they go and bring more people in. So um, it was very interesting to be able to apply a lot of the business principles in a um, a spiritual space. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. So what was, did you go to college? What was your major if you went? Yeah, so I um, got my undergraduate degree from Vanderbilt, and um, it was in political science. And following um, graduation, I actually worked on my first campaign as a campaign manager. And I'm very proud to say he is in the Tennessee um, General Assembly um, to this day. So that was definitely one of the highlights of my career working with um, Reverend Harold Love. And he's actually a pastor who ran for a state house um, position that his father had previously occupied. Vanderbilt. I've always, wow, you you throw that college name out there. That's those Ivy League schools. That's awesome. That's one of those places that I go, oh, I'd like to go and tour. Tell me me what Vanderbilt is like because I, I live vicariously through others. (laughs) You know, Vanderbilt was a great experience. I wasn't one of those who knew what I wanted to do with my life. And um, as I mentioned earlier, I went to a public boarding school. I'm in Alabama. We have the School of Math and Science system. And most of my friends were going to um, into engineering or they wanted to be doctors. And I really had no clue. And so I figured at that you know point that it would be best if I went to a top 25 school because you know once you kind of throw those names out there like no one really asks like you know well, what was your major or what was your GPA like they just assume that you know you know what you're talking about and it has you know served me well these past um, 20 years having that on my resume but the um this the campus is absolutely beautiful and the um the knowledge that I gained and just like the level of um I guess, academic rigor that we went through has really helped me in my writing ability and my presentations and, you know, just my ability to navigate the business world. And I don't think I realized it at the time, just how prepared that experience made me for all of the things that came after graduation. Mm, That is so true. So Vanderbilt was uh, founded by family so is it a woman's school i believe it is right no no it's not it's It's a a private yeah it's a private institution okay all right that's interesting um what state is vanderbilt in it's in nashville tennessee tennessee i did not know that i guess i was thinking it was in one of the like you know like boston or 
New Hampshire. No, we consider ourselves the Harvard of the South because I think we're <laughs> one of the <laughs> we're one of the few um, Ivy League schools in the South. Wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, so um, that's really interesting. So, how did you, aside from you know working in with churches as one of your demographics? What else, because you and I, part of the, how we actually connected was the fact that you had a lot of interests, I had a lot of interests, and I went, okay, radio show, gaming, you know, consulting firm, you know, movies, I mean, in this case, videos and uh, games for Cat5 Studios, those are my things. But, like, let's talk about all of that, those interests, and how were you able to segment them and get them so that they are actual revenue streams? Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So when I actually started my business because I um, decided to have a, a baby and I wanted to be a um, stay-at-home mom, but I knew I needed to work. And so I started consulting um, and it was really just a habit where I was helping people that I knew with various projects and, you know, they would give me money, but not, you know, substantial, you know, income, but they would give me money for my services. And then I started to realize like, hey, I can make a business out of this. And I had a friend who was um, in graduate school at Vanderbilt who's working on his MBA and he was consulting with one of the um, the top four firms. And I had no idea really what consulting was at the time. And so he was like, you know, I go into um, companies and I assess, you know, how their operations are and I help them to improve their operations. And I realized at the time, and again, this was 15 years ago, that there was really no one doing that for small business owners. And so I decided that I wanted to help small business owners figure out how they could operate better and how they could scale. Because a lot of times people who start small businesses aren't able to get financing. They're not able to grow because they don't have a solid foundation. A lot of times they're just doing the best that they know how, like they had a great idea and they started a business. And so I committed myself to working with small businesses so that they could operate like a big business, even if they only want to have like, you know, five or 10 employees, they can still have like the presence of a larger corporation. So I started doing that. Um, and then it gave me the freedom to do a lot of the other things that I just really enjoyed doing. So I started my blog talk radio show um, just because I was interested. I actually started um, talking about relationships just because I was interested in the topic. And from there, I um, wrote my first book and realized like, how easy it is to self-publish. And so um, since that book, I've written, I think, a total of 15 at this point. And um so people would, you know, ask me to come and do presentations based on the books. And so that's how I got into speaking. And so now um, consulting, speaking, um, interviews, they're just all a part of the things that I really enjoy doing. And I'm blessed that I get paid to do all of that. That is so cool. <laughs> so so you have a lot. One of the things that I had noticed is that you have a lot of automations. And we were talking about this pre-show you know, on your on your uh, social channels, but also through your websites. And we know that anything that we can make it so that it's going to be, you know, a smoother experience for the uh, user, for the customer or potential customer, it's always a win. Um, tell us about those automations. What have, what have you used and seen that's really successful? Because I bet you get to talk with a lot of businesses and help them get those types of uh, processes and 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 systems put in place to make it so that it is going to feel like a big business. Oh, definitely. And it's very interesting because I also do um, self-publishing consulting and I um, edit um, books for clients who are interested in self-publishing. And right now I'm working on um, shameless plug for one of my clients, Sterling McKinley. And he's actually writing um, his book on artificial intelligence and the role that it plays in business. And um, <clears throat> it's just really interesting as great as I thought I was at automation and what we've been talking about, the future of automation is just so amazing. And some of the tools that I'm currently using um, on my platforms are scheduling um, apps. So Acuity, A-C-U-I-T-Y, it's huge for me. Um, I use that calendar for pretty much everything. You can schedule if you want to have classes, if you want to do like 15 minute coffee breaks, if you want to schedule consultations, and it allows people to pay you through the app. 
So that's huge for me because it takes the guesswork out of trying to find time for people to meet with you. Um, I also use Printful, P-R-I-N-T-F-U-L.com for merchandise that I sell and that I recommend for my clients who want to have online stores because they do on-demand printing. So instead of you, you know, if you want, if you have a t-shirt design, instead of you having like a hundred t-shirts in your basement, as orders come in, people are, you're able to go to their website and place the order and they do white label shipping. So they ship it with your label, your tags, everything on the merchandise. So if you want to do t-shirts, coffee mugs, that type of thing, Printful is a great platform for that. Um, MailChimp is great for me um, because whenever people sign up for my e-newsletter on my website, it sends them an automatic welcome email. So I'm not trying to you know, keep track of every person that subscribes to my email list. And, um, and then I think like Amazon is probably like the next biggest one, of course, for books, instead of having to ship books to every person who wants them, unless they want an autographed copy, then, you know, being able to send them to Amazon to make their purchases. And then I get paid through Amazon. So I think those are probably the top platforms that I use. I used to do a lot of automation with my social media posting, but I found that that algorithms are a little bit different when you use scheduling platforms basis versus when you do the actual posting yourself. So now with my Facebook pages, I prefer to go in and automatic and actually set the post and then schedule the time that I want them to go out. And then for Instagram and the other platforms, I just post um, live. But there are some people who still use um, the automations for social media, but that's just one that I've stopped using. Yeah, we use uh, Hootsuite to send our mm-hmm. social content out, and we yeah. do schedule it. We have some content that is set on a schedule. Yeah. Um, and then we also have let, you know, in this case, Hootsuite be the one that selects the times. That, right. Uh, things will go based on peak, you know, peak use of the social channels. But I actually think I see better results when I post myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. On LinkedIn, for sure, and on Instagram, I always see... You know, big big spikes there yeah yeah definitely like I, I realized the same thing that like the engagement is higher when you actually post versus when the platforms post for you yeah there's a human behind it and so that <laughs> message becomes really personal because it's like you're in the moment and you're posting something and people are going oh look at that you know you right. get, they know the difference between the the scheduled services and the the real in the moment type of posting right yeah. I do want to go back because I'm still in awe about Vanderbilt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just looking up the race percentage. 8.7% of their school population is African-American. Yeah. And being the Harvard of the South, I wanted to know how did you find, I guess, just m- mingling and being able to work your way out of Vanderbilt and becoming a successful entrepreneur being a African-American woman? Um, you know, it's interesting because I won't say that um, race hasn't been an issue because I'm sure that it has been an issue, but it's never been an issue that I've focused on. Right. So when I worked in retail, I started out um, as an assistant manager for um, Express, the clothing store. And I think at like 23, 24, um, Betsy Johnson hired me to be her store manager. She opened a store in Nashville. And I did that for about two years. And then I became a financial advisor with American Express for a couple of years. And then I managed a newspaper. And so my attitude has always been to be the best at whatever I'm doing so that no matter what people may think about me, they can't deny the knowledge that I have. So even like when I walk into spaces now and I have, you know, tattoos and, you know, the natural hair, like because people want what's in my head, they're not as concerned with how I look. And so that's what I I tell people is like, if you really want to overcome like those types of barriers, like you really have to focus on being the best at whatever it is that you're trying to do. And I think like, um, Catherine, I don't remember her last name, but the lady from Hidden Figures that died, you know, yesterday at 101, you yes. know, when you watch that movie, like that's one of the things that you 
kind of gleaned from that is that even though they were African-American women at NASA, their mindset was, I'm going to be the best at what I do. So no matter my race or my gender, you can't deny that. And people want knowledge more than they care about being racist or sexist. Exactly. I agree. I'm trying to practice that myself. (laughs) Having half inch holes in my ear and my nose pierced. I am definitely okay, trying I just to practice. barely see the see, I, I do a good job hiding it. I try. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but when, when you're the best, I mean, and like Mark Zuckerberg is like a prime example of that. Like, you know, he walks into a room with like khakis and a button down because he knows that he is at the top of his industry. And so no one's going to be like, no, you can't come in because they want what he has. And so I think, you know, for people who, you know, really want to be at the top, like instead of focusing on what you look like in the exterior, you really have to focus on like making sure that you have a specialized knowledge or you have so much knowledge about your subject matter that people look past <laughs> your exterior because they want you at the table. They want you in the room. So Sharon's going to jump in. She's got a question. Um, yeah. So hi. Hi. Um, so I was actually had a question because um, you mentioned before that you were unsure of like what you wanted to do. Do you have any advice for someone um, that doesn't know what they want to pursue career wise or is unsure? Like, Yeah, definitely. Um, so if you're still in college and you're unsure, I recommend going through, like I took the tour of departments at Vanderbilt because I started out as an economics major and I'm sure you can imagine what economics at Vanderbilt was like. And I quickly realized that that was not the department for me. (laughs) And so so I kind of like, I took the liberal arts tour. I went through fine arts. I thought about being a Spanish major and I just, you know, took classes until I found something that I loved. And I loved political science. Like I loved almost every class that they were offering in that department. And then the question becomes like, once you figure out what you love and what you're passionate about is how can I monetize this? And fortunately we live in a society now where you can monetize almost any skill or passion that you have, but it's a matter of figuring out how does that skill or how does that passion solve a problem for people? So it's not just enough that, hey, I love doing this, but what problem is it solving for consumers? And you don't need to solve that problem for a million people. Like for most people, you just need to solve it for a good 100 people. So if you can figure out like a problem that 100 people have that you're able to solve and you can build those people into loyal customers, then you'll be able to build a successful business or you'll be able to find a job that is answering that same question so that you can build a career because entrepreneurship is not for everyone. No, it is not. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. It is. Yeah. People think, oh, gosh, you get to make your own hours. I work seven days a week and it's like, you know, midnight I'm going to bed because it's just like, oh, it's not that easy. Um, Yeah. yeah. You get to make your own hours, but you also have to make your own money because I tell people like there's no one that's writing that, you know, there's a guaranteed paycheck coming in on Friday. So everything that I earn is because I went out and worked for it. So if you're not a hunter and you don't like going out looking for prey, then entrepreneurship is probably not for you because that's essentially what your job is. But you not only have to hunt for the food, but you also have to kill it and cook it, which means that after you get the clients, you have to do the work as well. So I don't think a lot of people realize that because they just want to kind of have the glamour of it without realizing that you are the entire process. And even if you have people working under you, you're responsible for the entire process. That is so true. That is so true. (laughs) I know people always will say that. Um, And this is truly this is hard work. So it is not as easy as what everybody seems to (laughs) to think. It takes overnight success takes 15 years. It is that that type of um that Agreed. type of a mentality Agree. And I tell people like when they see me like next week I'll be um at Black Enterprise and um I'm one of the um, moderators for a panel and I was like oh you know this overnight success and I'm like well it was 15 years that I've been building my brand and building this platform to get on that stage like it didn't happen at the beginning of my career it took 15 years to get to this space and I don't think a lot of people realize that so they see you working and they think like oh just because they just found you that you just started doing this when you've really been putting in sweat equity for a long time yes Yes. 
There you go. Forbes Council. Tell me about Forbes Council. How, what does it take to get in? What is the advantages? Um, I've read a lot about them. I've had some conversations. I know some of the answers to this, mm -hmm. but our listeners don't, and I think it would be really interesting. Yeah, so the great thing um, about being a member of the Forbes Coaches Council is it is a level of validation for your business because, you know, Forbes is a very recognizable name. Um, and you um, also get to contribute. So they do like round, it's almost like roundups where they ask questions and you get to submit your answers and then they'll choose, you know, so many answers to put together in articles. And so being able to say that, you know, you provide advice to readers of um, Forbes.com is a huge bonus and um, helps in your, your search engine optimization when people Google your name and, you know, you come up in Forbes articles and then you also get to write articles to submit to them. And they have a concierge service. So if you're an entrepreneur or, you know, in the business space and you like receiving discounts on um, different services that you might utilize, then being a part of that council um, also provides those perks. Yep. Um, I write with uh, Medium, which mm -hmm. is, I think, a really great publication yeah. also. So that one's good. Um, yeah. I wanted to, next month, March, just so everybody knows, it's right around the corner, is National Women's History Month. I yeah. wanted to use this as a way to kind of kick that off. That's why you're here. But yeah. most of our guests are all women coming into the show next month. And we're just going to be celebrating all of the uh, boss lady power. Boss yes. lady power. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, boss That's lady. That's a hashtag. Right, boss lady power. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's boss lady power, but I definitely know that boss That was trendy, lady. though. That sounded yeah. real cool. Yeah, yes. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you're the one that's kicking us all off in that area. So I'm really happy to have you as that guest. Um, so let's talk about your book. All hundred um, of them. Oh, well, we're going to only talk about one. Just 15, just 15. Just one. It says, <laughs> Speak Up, The Ultimate Guide to Dominating the Speaking Industry. So that book is actually um, not just my book, but it is. it was compiled by the Black Speakers Network, and I'm one of their platform partners. I do um, branding um, for a lot of the members, and I was the project manager for the book. And I think it's around 30 different speakers that each contributed a chapter to the book. And um, George Frazier wrote the foreword and Les Brown wrote the afterword for the book. And um, we all just came together under the, um, the wise counsel of Brian Oles, who is the um, founder of the organization. And he wanted to provide a resource for people who are interested in turning their speaking gigs into an actual career. And um, there are some real power hitters that contribute chapters in there, like Cheryl Wood and Dr. Will Moreland and um, Pam Perry. And everybody just, you know, really gave the best knowledge that they had about their specific um, specialization in the speaking industry. And my chapter is on creating multiple streams of income for your speaking business. And um, just for anyone who's interested in becoming a professional speaker and making it a business where you're not just speaking for free, but you're generating income, then it's a great resource. And everybody, you know, provides their contact information and the services that they offer. So if you're interested in taking your um, speaking gigs to the next level, then I highly recommend in that book and not just because I'm in it and I help put it together but because it truly is a, um, a resource for speakers so um, when you were talking about the speaking thing what was your first speaking engagement and do you go to uh, Toastmasters um, I'm not a member of Toastmasters can I ask what Toastmasters is oh yeah well I'll explain that yeah <laughs> do you want to explain it or would you like me to Oh, you can explain it. Yeah, okay. I don't do Toastmasters. Yep. So Toastmasters is an international organization that allows people to come that want to overcome their fear of public speaking. And they help you with a number of different topics. You can go in for, um, it's an hour long. They have them at all different times of the day, morning meetings, lunch me meetings, and after, you know, after business hours. Um, they help you develop uh, the ability to not do any ums, like what I just did. Mm -hmm. 
Um, they help you, and I just did it again. Now I'm real <laughs> self-conscious about it. They help you be able to think very quickly on your feet. Okay. And you're timed so that you have to organize your thoughts very quickly and be able to get across a message that's clear and explicitly on topic. Okay. So it's think of improv, but the best of improv with being able to be in the world of business. Public speaking. Public speaking, yeah. Heard that. Yeah. Anyway, so not a member of that, but what was your first one like? Were you nervous? How did it go? Um, I don't think so. Like, I honestly don't remember my first actual presentation. I have, um, it feels like, like, just kind of going back, like, I've always really enjoyed um, talking. <laughs> and so it just comes natural. And I think I have the ability to take really complex information and simplify it. And so usually when I'm doing presentations is to help people understand something or to um, explain complex issues. So my first actual presentations would probably be when I was working with American Express as a financial advisor. And um, we would do lunch and learns where we were educating people on um, comprehensive financial planning. And so I would I think that might be the first time I was formally doing um, speaking, but working in retail sales is, you know, you're constantly speaking and trying to convince people to buy. So I think that speaking has been something that I've always done, but making it into an actual, um, revenue stream probably came from preaching. So again, I think, you know, that doesn't really qualify because it's preaching, but yeah. Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong about being able to talk <laughs> about money. I used to be a uh, Crown Ministry, um, it was a uh, coach, and mm -hmm. I taught people how to manage their money in a biblical method, and that was, Crown Ministries was a really big program at one time. It was like a 10, 12 week, and then they went down to 10 weeks. Um, people would have to learn how to memorize Bible verses that aligned with different themes through each week. It was all about being able to learn, like I said, how to handle money responsibly, but right. live within your means. And I think that's a really good thing because when you're talking about getting up there and you've got multiple revenue streams, that's uh, able, you're, you have the ability to support your family, but you know, it's totally in alignment with the Bible, just like you were right. saying. Being the new generation of believers, mm -hmm. if that's a thing, um, I always hear the topic about churches just to make money, to scam people, blah, blah, blah. But I think people don't know or don't understand that church is a business. Yeah. And their job is not only to bring people in, but to keep that, keep those believers going and yeah. continuing to have more people coming to church. So, Thank you guys for highlighting that. That's huge for people to know. That yeah. right. Church is right. a business. Well, it's not just a business, <laughs> not but just it is a business, but to feed the soul, right? Right. And it everyone working in the church day in and day out. I growing up in church, uh, we were there all the time, felt like <laughs> five yeah. five, six days a week. My Mom was on the usher board. I did the youth usher board. Mm. Then with my dad and my stepmom, they also worked in the ministry and were on the financial boards and stuff. So always after church, I would see them talk about the business part of it or the behind the scenes stuff outside of the pulpit. And people in the church do hard, hard work to keep it going. Yeah, it is. Mm. Nonprofits and churches they really depend upon, you know, people in the seats being able to give that money because it's all emotionally driven. Right. You know, we can say to tithe, but, you know, not everybody tithes. So it's a it's a big deal. And that's how the people that are in ministry make a living, too. You mm -hmm. know, and if you want them to if you want your your congregation to be fed, you have to support those people that are leading it. Could not agree more. Well, Johnny, we're going to take a little uh patron announcement so let's go ahead and do that real quick and then we'll go back to our show
Omnimodal, our second patron of the night, is helping smart cities connect all commuters across all modes of transportation move into the future. Omnimodal, their website is omnimodal.io. Thank you, Omnimodal, for being a patron of the Intern Whisper Live. So we're going back to our show. Now, our show is all about internships and remembering that somebody gave us a chance at some point in time. And even if you did not have an internship, you had a first job. And maybe that didn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. But there's always somebody that's going to take a chance. And to me, talking about money, I think that's a really good thing that we're doing here, Lakeisha. Because money is, we're going to go back to this thing about the Bible there, um, Money is the topic that is most referred to in the Bible over anything, even more than love, because obviously we need to know how to handle money responsibly, and it's a place of, uh, uh, it can be a, a, a good thing or it can be something that's going to be a hardship for us. But uh, it's the same with a job. When people say, oh, my gosh, I need to get a job, well, you need to know what you're bringing to the table, like you were sharing earlier. We've got really valuable skills and if you've never had a job, you still have a mind and you have a heart. And those are going to be what you have to, to bring into a work environment. And I usually say that that's the most valuable skills that you have is your head and your heart. But when people say, oh, I don't know how to sell or I don't want to sell, I go, well, how'd you get that uh, boyfriend or girlfriend? And how'd you get that first job? You know, you had to be able to sell yourself to get that, right? So everybody sells. We just don't realize that it's really based on a relationship most definitely so what was your first job that you you said it was in retail but exactly what were you doing and i was in awe of the fact that you worked for betsy johnson that's a designer hello oh yeah yeah so betsy johnson was amazing actually um had a chance to go to new york fashion week and attend like one of her shows so that was an amazing right like that was one of the one of the highlights of my life. But um, when I first started in retail, I was just a store associate. And so I worked my way up over time from store associate to an assistant manager to um, being the store manager for um, for Betsy Johnson. And I think that the thing that people have to realize, especially when you go into jobs or internships, is that you ha- it's important that you start at the bottom. It's important that you learn every aspect of the business because it helps you to be a better leader and a better manager when you know all facets of a business. And so I think that if I had gone into a retail store and I just wanted to be the manager or the assistant manager without having ever been a store associate, that I would not have been as effective as I was because I understood what my sales associates were going through because I had gone through that same thing. Agreed. I could not agree more. When you work every aspect of a business, you really have a lot more um, empathy for the people that are in those positions and it makes you a better manager. Yeah, that, and it helps you, like, you know, when someone comes to you and says, there's a better way that we can do this, because you've done it before, You're when you hear their idea, you can actually see how it can be implemented, and whether it actually can be a better um, solution, whereas if you've never done it before, and someone's trying to tell you, like, hey, you know, if we do X, Y, and Z, and you have no idea what they're talking about, then you are quicker to dismiss it. Um, so I definitely, and what, and another thing for people who, especially if you're just starting like in your career, I remember when I was in college and going back to having no idea what I wanted to do. And I used to read black enterprise magazine. And I remember looking through the magazine and seeing that most of the people who were featured in there were in their like thirties, forties and fifties. And so that told me at like 20, 20, 21 years old, that I was going to have to work hard for at least the next 10 to 15 years before I achieve that level of success. And I think that today, so many people think that as soon as they graduate from college, that they're going to get their dream job and that they're going to be successful. They're going to be in the C-suite without realizing like you're going to have to put in some years of work not just for the sake of working, but so that you can gain the knowledge and the experience so that when you get to the C-suite, you can stay in the C-suite. 
Because sometimes people can help to get you elevated or get you into position. But if you don't have the knowledge and the experience, you're not going to be able to stay there because you'll quickly be exposed when people start having conversations and bringing problems to you that you can't speak intelligently about. Agreed. Man, this is like business preaching. This is good. (laughs) (laughs) This is good. Okay. So what do you think the future of consulting? Because I agree with you. I think everybody is enamored with this idea of, oh, I want to be a consultant. And really, I'll sit here and go, really? Well, what are you going to specialize in? And then it takes time to build up, just like you're saying, that years of experience. So it's no different as to building a company. It takes 15 years to be able to be having a successful business. But it takes the same amount of time to come in and say that you're going to be a consultant because what do you know? You really know nothing other than what you've experienced. And it's trial and error. You keep making mistakes on your other own clients until you get to this place where you're going, okay, I'm not going to make those mistakes anymore because it <laughs> right. was at somebody else's expense. And that's, uh, that's not so good when you're a consultant. But if you're being paid to be a consultant, then you get a training, you know, and there is more experience that you're and mentoring that's in place versus just somebody go, oh, I'm going to be a consultant. So what do you think it looks like 10, 20 years from now for people that want to be consultants? Um, I think that the industry is definitely going to be moving towards some type of um, certification or some way for people to vet who the genuine or who the qualified consultants are. Because right now, like you said, like the market is starting to be saturated with people who are considering themselves consultants. And so that's one of the reasons why the Forbes Coaches Council was an important distinction to have on my resume because it says that there is an organization that vetted me to say that I actually am who I say I am and I do what I say that I do. And so I think that um, people who are um, truly doing this work are going to be looking for those types of distinctions to set themselves apart from the people who just kind of jump up and say, hey, you know, I want to start my own business. And so I'm going to, you know, add consulting firm or consulting group to my my last name and hang out a shingle and want to charge people like and I see consultants charging ridiculous money for, you know, these programs that they're putting people through that aren't really solving any problems. And I feel really bad for the people who are paying all of this money. And at the end of the day, they're not really getting anything from it. So I think that finding those leaders who have those distinctions is going to be important. And I also think that the um, that artificial intelligence and the way that we use metrics is going to be impactful in the industry as to how we as consultants are solving problems for our clients. Um, when you look back, you know, 10, 15, even 20 years ago, there were only like the big four consultants that people really took seriously. And now people are looking more at specialized consultants. And so they are willing to give smaller firms a shot. And I think that that's going to continue in the future because people realize like they have a limited amount of time and they have a limited amount of money. And so working with a consultant, you can save yourself time, even if you have to spend money. But hopefully if you're working with someone who actually knows what they're doing, they're going to help you to make more money. And that's going to be one of the driving factors for people when they're looking at consultants, whether it's in um, IT or management or even leadership development or security consulting, they're going to be looking for people who can save them time so that they can make more money. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So what would it take? What would a typical day look like for someone to intern with you in your business? Um, they would be spending a lot of time in front of the computer, um, a lot of researching. So, um, with clients who are interested in web design, then, you know, I'm looking up, you know, copy for their website, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how do we integrate their keywords for search engine optimization? Um, we do self-publishing consulting. So we're editing books for clients. I'm working on their formatting, um, if they're interested in graphic design, we do branding. So I'm um, looking at I'm um, doing like logo designs, book cover designs. Um, we do some political strategy consulting. So um, that's where the research would come in, you know, 
who are they running against? Like, what's their vote number? What's their campaign plan? You know, how do we put together a winning strategy based on the demographic that they're running in? So it's a lot of time in front of the computer um, helping to put together um, quality information that we can pass along to our client. Very good. So it looks like you probably use people that are in marketing or they're in um, maybe a research analyst, of maybe somebody that writes, and you mentioned a graphic designer. Yes. Perfect. Yep. That it sounds exactly like what <laughs> somebody should be doing. Um, who were some mentors that gave you great counsel, and what was that piece of wisdom they passed on? Um, you know, I actually didn't have a lot of mentors because I think growing up, I didn't really see anyone doing what I wanted to do. I'm from a really small town in Southern Alabama. I think like the population is less than 10,000 people in our entire County. And everybody, you know, is like, Oh, go to school and get a good job. You know, lawyer, doctor, teacher. And I never wanted to do those things. I knew I wanted to do something different. So I didn't have any traditional mentors, but I did have a, um, a manager who just always like poured nuggets of wisdom into me about how to treat people. And I think that was the biggest lesson that I learned was how to treat people from the CEO to the person who was cleaning the floors, like to always treat people with respect, to always be interested in people's story, to always take time to listen when people are talking and not just listen to speak. Because you learn so much and the knowledge that I gained just from interacting with people inevitably helps me with some project that I end up working on later. Because I remember something that someone said or a story that someone shared that helps me to see things through a different lens. Yep. My favorite uh, quote is, and I think that this is a really good reminder to uh, remember that um, people have a lot of influence over over us, but it's uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, and it says, no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. Hmm. I oh, love wow. that one. Yeah. Because that even applies to myself, because you know how we can talk to ourselves and go, oh, I didn't do this, or oh, I'm not that smart, or right. whatever. Like, we need to remember that applies even when we talk to ourselves. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. I remember someone came in um, to the store one day, and they had on a lapel pin, and it has always stuck with me, and it said, good enough never is. And that has always been my motto. Like, I'm always looking to do better. I'm always looking for better. I'm always looking for ways to enhance whatever I'm doing and to take it to the next level. I never really look around to see what other people are doing. It's always like, how can I improve? How can I be better? How can I do more? And that's what really pushes me um, every day to just try to be successful by being better than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how Olympians get there, right? And I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today, and it was um, about the Olympics, and I said, that's how records are broken. I mean, right. we had all of these humans that were able to achieve amazing things 20 years ago, but those records have been broken. And it's there's this place where we need to remember change is, is real, and we need to realize that we have to change and we need to embrace change. Because right. that is what keeps us fresh. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even, you know, looking at, like, the books that I write, like, I'm always looking at the content, like, okay, how can I improve on this content? How can I improve on the presentation that I did last week? How can I make um, whatever it is that I'm doing? Like, how can I kick it up a notch? How can I make it more exciting, more impactful? And when you do that, then you get better. And the better you get, like, the more people want what you have to offer. That is very true. Well, we are at the end of our show, so we're going to be giving a shout-out over here to Q, our station manager, who we did not call tonight and interrupt his day off. We did. <laughs> we did not, not. call him. No. So, Q, nice. yes, we did not interrupt you. Uh, we love being in the radio studio because we get to have all of this cool equipment, and we move these uh, microphones all around. They're like little arms all around us. Um, <laughs> nice. That's super cool. And then we also, um, yeah, we, we just have access to this space. And it's really, we're very thankful. But let's do our shout-outs. Johnny, who's your shout-out for? 
What was your cool hashtag earlier? Women trend. Boss women. There it is. Boss women power. Boss women power. Yeah. So shout I out. I think it was boss ladies. What it was boss, boss lady. lady. Yeah. Boss, boss lady. lady power. Boss yes. lady power. Well, that's my shout out. Shout out to all you boss lady powers. My mom, um, stepmom, but she's been my mom since I was five years old. So definitely my mom. Um, is vice president of internal auditing at Texas University, and. I always go to her for all my professional and business advice. Mm. And to now be speaking with you, Lakeisha, it's so cool to see black women just working their way up in the game and doing their best, no matter being a woman, which is the main thing, and then being a black woman to see how you can still be successful no matter what. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, he's a charmer, too. (laughs) Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. He's in the hospitality industry. That's his degree, and so you can see that he will use those uh, those skills. No, that was so genuine. That was that was real life. No, I know it was. You're absolutely (laughs) right. Yeah, but he, you are charming. Okay, Sharon. You've got, um, of course, Sergio Fernando is sitting outside. (laughs) Fernando. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Um. Guess shout out to my husband for always. encouraging me to keep moving forward even when I feel down yeah that's good Ayana do you want to do a shout out across the room okay so Ayana's over here she's over on the side I'll do a shout out for her so that's for her honey bunny she and her parents that are so supportive yeah they're very supportive (laughs) to her her boyfriend yeah. yeah, so that one's for her because she's not at a microphone. And then over here, my shout-out goes to all of our listeners, to everybody in, in with Interim Pursuit, the game, the radio show, the company itself. Um, thank you for all of the hard work that you guys do. Um, you make this all look really easy now, and I'm very appreciative of that. And today we did headshots, so look for these people to be on the website soon. You'll see all of the talent that's with us. Um, and then to you, Lakeisha, thank you for being our guest tonight and kicking off National Women's History. Nice. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, and who is your shout out to? So I think I'm going to give my shout outs to um, two of my best friends. Um, one, Siobhan Mitchell. She is the founder of the Creative Outsiders, um, a Christian filmmaking um, group. And she's hosting her first retreat next, no, in April. I'm just super proud of her for stepping out on faith. She left her job to pursue filmmaking full time. Mm-hmm. And then um, my other friend, um, Zelex Rivera, who's working on her PhD. And she's the founder of the I Am She women empowerment um, organization and just to be you know surrounded by two really cool down-to-earth Christian women who um, we laugh together we cry together and we push each other to just be better so definitely those are my two shout outs oh and I guess I'll also tell you Steve we miss you Steve is our other Steve video guy that's today. not with us with us tonight so um ayana's flying solo but steve we're missing you too so uh we're going to be saying good night to all of our our listeners and uh, they can follow us on iHeartRadio, spotify apple podcast stitcher podbean and google play you can find us on those podcast channels you can also watch our show on youtube and on our facebook video page and then just uh, as we close the show we want to thank all of you our listeners for uh, following us and loving on us. So thank you. Take us out, Johnny.